I always had this drive and determination to do more. I was never the same as the people around me. I felt like anything that I put my hands on or I got involved in, I always wanted to take it to the next level. Running a business is the toughest thing that you will do in your life, but it's such a great character building experience as well. It has shaped who I am today. Going through a mind and body transformation is life-changing. My discipline comes from going through that transformation because it takes a lot to have to undergo something so significant, but it just teaches you so much. Relationships have definitely been the number one sacrifice in my life. I was so dedicated to wanting to achieve my goal that anything that felt outside of that was something that I would say no to and my friends would never understand why I wouldn't go clubbing on the weekend or I wouldn't go and do this or do that. Unfortunately, said goodbye to a lot of those friends. What moment was it that you realised that this is a real business? When we were pulling 22-hour days and we couldn't keep up with the workload, I don't think we ever considered the final financial return. I think for us, it was always like, look at how many people losing weight. Like, look at how many lives we're impacting. Like we just finished this challenge period and look at all of the tens of thousands of kilos combined people lost. That's what success looks like for us. Quickly, before we get started, guys, if you've been enjoying the podcast, can I please ask that you consider leaving a five-star review and subscribing on whatever platform you've been listening. It really helps the podcast grow. All right, Joe, are we going? Are we in? All right. Our guest today is a very special guest, uh, Forbes 30 under 30 lister, a goal that so many people have on whether you manifest or have a goal sheet, a massive goal for so many people. So we'll chat about a little bit that moment I want to explore, but someone who's grown a company from zero, from absolute nothing, from complete startup, funded the whole thing through the growth of the business um, to a multiple eight-figure valuation. I'm, of course, talking about Amal Kim, the co-founder and CEO of Equolution. Uh, we we're just chatting off air. We've gone to you the first person in the brand new studio. For anyone that does watch on YouTube, uh, it's not fully ready, but we're almost there. You, the, the, the bones of it are in. We've got to do some little things to pretty it up. But I think um, we're excited to make you the first one in this studio because of the story you've gone on with what you've done with the business and your personal journey alongside that. So Amal, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. And this studio is quite schmick. Is that how you say it? Schmick, schmick yeah. Yeah, it looks <laughs> awesome. The timber walls, the roof, everything is pretty cool. So feeling very honoured that you have selected me to be the first in this new studio. Thank you very much. And we're obviously Alexandra buddies. We've had so many yeah. people from Alexandra on the podcast. Obviously, Ice's studio right down the road so as well. So many around here. It's pretty cool, isn't it? Honestly, Alexandria is becoming like a little media hub of Sydney. I love so I'm it. all about it. Um, um, so where I want to start with you, it might be surprising. Obviously, we're going to get into the whole equilution journey, yeah. everything you've done, first of all, in those early startup years, but then since uh, in the scale-up phase. Um, but before we get into that journey and, and kind of what was the catalyst for that, I actually want to uh, rewind it back a little bit further and it might be, so be surprise you or, or, some, or be something a little bit more unexpected. But I actually want to ask you about the two businesses and I'll say kind of businesses with... Um, yeah, a grain, take that with a grain of salt. But I want to go back all the way to a high school with Kim. Oh. Amal, sorry, <laughs> fuck. You know. Sometimes I try and like erase that out of my yeah, memory. Not, um, to the gamer and, oh. and to selling. Because you're laughing, it's funny, but it's like the seed of a little entrepreneur in there growing and selling accounts on, I believe the game was called Habbo Hotel. Oh, no. I, I never admit it. And I feel like now everyone knows. Don't worry. That was our generation. That's what we did. Like if it wasn't Habbo Hotel, it was. Club Penguin for me. Oh, Club Penguin. Yeah. Those are the days. Into that as well. But what I want to know, obviously we're not going to go into the strategies you used to grow the accounts, but I want to know what was the motivation back then at such a young age to start growing these accounts and selling them to other people? Where did you get that idea from taking it from a hobby, which was something you did for fun and be like, Hey, 
there's actually a market here for me to make some money. Yeah, I think for me, I'm that type of person that always likes to challenge myself. And so it's one thing to just be a gamer, but it's like, how do you take that to the next level? And so I just started to see that you could see success with these big accounts. And I was like, okay, well, I want to have a big account. I want to create a little Habo profile that has like the credibility and the reputation. And he's like, rich on Habbo Hotel. People that have been on Habbo will understand what I'm talking about. And then from there, it was like, okay, well, I've hit that status. What now? And then I was like, you know what? I'll sell the account. I don't even know if that's legal, but (laughs) I just started selling the accounts and it was like a thousand dollars a pop. And back when I was like 14 years old, 14 to 16, that's a lot of money. And so it just becomes addictive because you're like, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to grow the account and then I'm going to sell it. And then it's like, Repeat. So it's kind of like building a business and then it's like you get addicted to the challenge and you get addicted to problem solving. And yeah, that's how it all started. I remember for me, the first time I ever got any sort of attachment to business or sales or anything like this, I probably would have been like year nine in high school and we're doing the volunteering for like legacy day, you know, how for the soldiers, the families of soldiers um, who were left, we were in year nine and we had to go sell the badges for legacy day. And this is the first time I ever sold anyone to anyone. And I remember I was the first person uh, to sell out of his box and I got the actual $100 ones to go and sell to people. And from that moment, I realized how much I love business. But one thing I didn't have to show me that earlier, which which you did, and I want to ask kind of what your experiences was like that, was any like family members in, or in, in business or involved with business? And I know your father has been involved with like imports and exports. So I want to know. You've done your research. I've done my research. <laughs> you growing up with a father in business, do you feel like that influenced you in any way if that drove you to to be more involved in business? And then I've got some other questions I'll ask you after that. But, yeah, what, what's your yeah. thoughts on his influence and, and him being in that industry, uh, what it did for you? Yeah, so my dad was quite successful growing up. So he actually franchised 14 Pizza Huts wow. while I was younger. So the import-export came at a later date, but he was really um, involved in the whole franchise model when it was at its prime. And so I was exposed to that very early on. So grew up in, like, um, I guess a family that just did well for themselves. But – For me, I think where it came from was I always had this drive and determination to do more. I was never the same as like the people around me. I felt like anything that I put my hands on or I got involved in, I always wanted to take it to the next level. So when my dad got into import export, I actually started a hair straightening business and it was with my sister and my cousin at the time. And we went to China and we wanted to create hair straighteners for Lebanese women that have thick curly hair. And we went and found suppliers. We tested them. We created our own brand. And then we went to where our target market was and sold these hair straighteners and blow dryers, which was at Bankstown, which is like the crux of like the Lebanese community. And it just went really well. Like people loved our hair straighteners. And that was like my first business. And we sold the product until it sold out. We never went back and created more. And I remember like six years later, I was like, just starting Equolution at the time, someone calls me and they're like, hey, do you have any hair straighteners left for sale? And I'm like, this was like a business I started six years ago. She's like, it is the best hair straightener I've ever used in my entire life. But I think just like being exposed to like entrepreneurship very early on in, in my life was great. I think that when I started Equolution, my dad was someone that I would go to 
are very early on for advice. So anything to do with staffing and hiring. And I remember there were times where we were in like New York for a little bit when we first quit our jobs at Google and started the business. And my dad would fly over and, and meet with us and we'd sit down at dinner and just pick his brain about like, okay, well, what does strategy mean? And like, how do you hire your first person? And how do you put them on, uh, you know, how do you give them KPIs and stuff? And because he had managed so many people, he could share his experience and his advice. So it did play a really big part, but I think just the type of person that I was, it just came naturally to me to be so determined to to take things to the next level. And I know I'm jumping a little bit ahead here and we, we, we will rewind, but with the Google thing, when it came time um, for you to, to leave Google and go full-time into this idea, this exciting new project, was it for you that you were really unhappy at Google and, and you hated the corporate world or did you just want more? I loved it. It was, I loved my job. I was pretty good at it as well. And much like what I said, like everything that I got involved in, I tried my absolute hardest. So was thriving, loved it. And it was a really great experience. I actually didn't want to quit my job, but I was in a position where it was like, okay, we can either take this business on full time or continue to work at Google. And it was such a passion project, Equolution, that it felt so natural and so right to take the plunge. So had I not started this business or have this passion project going on, I would have stayed in my position that I had because I loved it. Um, But yeah, it was the right thing to do. And for us, when we started the business, we never had the intent of making money. It was really because we wanted to help transform people's lives like we had transformed our own. And one thing led to another and the demand was growing. And I remember the first client that was actually paying because we serviced a lot of people for free, friends and family when we first started. And I remember it was a face-to-face consult and we're like, okay, that will be $160. And he's like, okay, come with me to the ATM and I'll take the cash out. And Jade and I were walking down and following him and we're like, we feel so bad taking his money right now. Mm. But it was, it got to a point where there was a demand for it and it was taking up a lot of our time. And then the business just evolved. It grew and it was just the right next stage for us to quit our jobs. And those, you know, the first ones that you did for free for, for friends and family, was that done strategically to start to get to know what the questions are, what you need to be good at, how it works? Or what was your thought behind that? And then when did you realize, because it's what a lot of people do that when they first start doing some form of consulting, they really feel guilty about the amount of money they're charging, but you just need to think of it as the value exchange. And if you can put so much value into that for your customer, you should never really feel, in my opinion, guilty for taking someone's money. If you truly do stand by a product. Now, when, before I started my business, I was in sales, I was selling shit I didn't believe in. And it was really, really hard. And I really hated it. And I thought maybe I hate sales and, and, and selling, but no, it's just when I, I didn't believe in, in what I did, but obviously you guys did, right? Yeah, I think for us it was really because we had a passion. So we started to facilitate the service because we wanted to have others experience what we had experienced. Going through a mind and body transformation is life-changing. It has shaped the person that I am today. My discipline comes from going through that transformation because it takes a lot to have to undergo something so significant, but it just teaches you so much. And so for me, knowing what the other end feels like to come out of a journey like this, I wanted to be the person to facilitate that for other people. And so that's why we started servicing people is because we were just wanting to help others. And then we did learn a lot and then that shaped the business. And so when we actually turned it into a business, all of our experience was what created our service offering, our price point and so on. And what we 
didn't realize what we were doing at the time was creating product market fit. But I really, I, I agree with you. I think that when it comes to actually charging for a service, you need to think of the value that you're providing back to someone. And so like, it is very normal to pay for a service or to pay for a product. It's a part of everyday life. And so it's like a matter of, well, how much do I charge? How much is my time worth? And what does someone get in exchange for that? So I do consulting on the side, for example, and it's like, I charge a certain amount, but what does my client actually get in return? Do What kind of return on investment do they get? They pay a certain amount, but we then double their revenue or triple their revenue, which to them is far greater than the monthly amount. Or cut down three or six months of how long it'll take to get there without going to someone who's been there and done it and can share that experience. Exactly, And it's the same for us. Like we may do consulting to people who are at different stages of their journey, but that's not to say that we don't go and seek advice and guidance from people who are far down the road, even from us. It's it's a never ending journey. Um, And I want to get really back into that whole, your experience and how that catalyst obviously led to Equolution and your amazing transformation. We'll get into that because I don't want to rush over to that. I know it's something you've spoken about before on podcasts, but I want to talk about more than just the weight loss journey, more the mental journey and the transformation you went through. But one last question before we do move on, I just wanted to ask from observing your, your, your father in business. And I know he did teach you a lot and it was good. I like a good soundboard to bounce ideas. Was there anything that you saw along the way, maybe work-life balance or maybe stress that you saw him doing and thought, Hmm, I definitely want to be in business myself, but I don't want that sort of life or I don't want to do it in that way. No, you know what? I think he did it in a way that was quite positive. I think that he is such a, like, if you knew my dad, he's so cool, calm and collected. Like nothing phases him. Like stress-free, like like, the world could be coming crashing down and he's like, it's going to be okay, mate. Like literally that's him. That's his response. I'll be like, oh, this happened. He'll be like, it's going to be okay, mate. So like- I think that he was a positive impact. We do business very differently. Like how he runs his businesses are very different to how I run my businesses. I'm all about automation and he's very old school and whatever. But no, there was nothing that he had done during my time where I was growing up that I was like, I never want to be like that. He dealt with business quite well. And I think it was a really good positive impact on my life. Yeah. And it, and it's I guess it's good that you had that. So you were aware of what was involved because yeah. so many people go into business thinking I start this business, there's going to be $10,000 of profit in my bank account every week when they don't realize the journey you go on. I think I, when I was doing my research, I heard you say there's twice as many, you know, hard times as good times or challenges you have to overcome, right? (laughs) And it's like this, this experience that you go into like having a business, I honestly feel like, and obviously I don't have kids, I say this like, so who am I to say? But having a business and for multiple years and truly with staff and trying to grow something, I believe it's way fucking harder because it's like you can never switch off. Never. It is honestly running a business is the toughest thing that you will do in your life, but it's such a great character building experience as well. It has shaped who I am today, how I make decisions, how I interact with people, uh, how I control my mindset, my business, and this experience has led me to the person that I am today. So yes, it's tough, but I feel like there's a lot of reward that come out of it, not financially, because don't expect to make money in the first few years or first five years of running a business, but it just teaches you so much. And it's just the mental reward that you get out of being a business owner. Like your business is your mirror. Yeah. It's crazy. It's like, 
you can't outrun that for long. No, and I complain daily. Like literally my poor assistant, I'm like, I'm stressed and I'm tired, I'm this and whatever, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Like I love my life because of the business that I built, the impact that we make on a daily basis. Like you log into Instagram or our Facebook community or just any social platform and you see the feedback that we get and the lives that we change. And like, well, what more could you want in life, right? You change people's lives the way that you've changed your own. And I think that is like the best feeling that you could ever have. And that definitely like overrides any feeling of stress or anxiety or like 100%. it's down, down feeling that you like sadness that you feel from business. hundred percent. Look, we've got to have these conversations. So we're being honest and open to the people that are considering getting in business and we can talk about it and laugh about it, but we still show up every day with a smile on our face oh, wanting yeah. to do it. We can change and go back. You could go back, get a job at Google or any other big tech company any day They'd you want They'd hate it. me now. They'd be like, this girl <laughs> thinks she's the CEO of Google and she thinks that she's going to drive all the decisions. I'd be the worst employee now because I'm so, when I have my mindset on something, I'll go full force mm. and I'm like, yeah, cool, your opinion's great and I'm going to learn from you and I love your feedback, but have you thought of it this way? And have we maybe thought of doing it in this format? And I would just challenge every decision so they'd probably hate me. They'd be like, and we can't work. Another thing as well that would be interesting phase of my life, I don't know if it's something on the horizon for you guys or not, but it's like the thought of, okay, you get to a certain size of a business, a lot of people want to take on funding to go to the next stage of growth. It's like even with that, it's like, oh, my favorite thing about business is there's no one that I have to answer to. I can run a business on my terms and it doesn't need to be about maximizing profit. It can be based around other decisions. What do you think you'd be like handing over a lot of control or a big part of like your business down the line and having like the more strict reporting and like lines and then you can't just do something. How do you feel like that? Because in a tech company, it's something that happens for a lot of businesses. Yeah. Do you feel like you'd be able to adjust to that if it was more an investment and it's still your business rather than going back to work for Google, let's say? All right, guys, just quickly, I've got some news. I've spent close to the past 18 months building the ultimate program that takes you through the complete process. And I mean the complete process of launching and scaling your very own e-commerce brand from zero all the way up to a million dollars plus per year. And now with this program, what you're going to get access to is 15 modules with over 100 training videos and 23 hours of in-depth content, taking you through everything you need to know to build a successful e-com brand. And this is the important part. This isn't just stuff that you can look up on YouTube. This is stuff I've taken from real lessons and experiences building Happy Skin Co. from zero all the way up to an eight-figure per year brand. You're going to get access to loads of custom tools, templates, and calculators that I've used to build and run Happy Skin Co. There's going to be one-on-one -on -one mentoring with myself and other expert coaches. And there's also weekly group Q&A calls with myself to make sure you're feeling completely supported throughout the entire process. And now what I've learned from consulting to everyone from people starting their very first e-commerce brand all the way up to brands already doing seven figures plus per year is that there's a process and a framework to follow if you want to be successful with e-com. Now, if this is something you're interested in, hit the link below and go to join.viralbrandbuilder.com. All the information's there and you can book a call directly with me. Otherwise, send me a DM and we can chat there. Anyway, let's get back to the pod. Yeah, that's a really great question. So we are currently doing our first fundraise. Mm -hmm. So I think you've asked this at a really good time. So I've put a lot of thought into this because we've bootstrapped the entirety of the business. So essentially have been my own boss. And I think you get to a point in your career, depending on the type of person that you want to be and what see, like what type of CEO or operator do you want to be? Do you want to be the CEO of a company that turns over a couple million dollars, tens of million dollars of a, or a hundred million, like hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that when you uh, know the answer to that, you can then plan your next 
steps. And it's okay if you're like, this is just a lifestyle business and I just want to turn over a couple million a year or a couple hundred thousand. That's okay. But for me, it's about being able to make that global impact. And I have recognized that that's probably something that I can't do on my own. I could, it would take me years to get there or I could get the additional support and the funding to help us get there a lot quicker. And so I'm at that point in my career where that actually excites me, where I want to have that accountability and the person that I can lean to that has that wealth of experience in, in building a global company that I can be like, hey, well, what do you think of that? Or what do you think of this? Or challenge me. I don't get challenged very often. I have a great management and leadership team and they challenge me on a daily basis, but I'm still not having, I can drive every decision. They can tell me to do something and I can be like, no, I take on their feedback all the time and I I let them run their own show, but I'm still calling the shots, right? When it comes to like the final decision, but I don't have anyone that is challenging me with that. So very much um, at that stage of my journey where I'm looking forward to it. I think something you said exactly that I think makes a lot of sense and is probably the way to think about it. For someone like myself that has bounces back and forth of which way I would like to model my lifestyle and how I want to work. It's like you're just at this stage now of your career that you're ready for that. Yeah, I want to learn. You know what I I mean? You know, I want to learn what it takes to build a global business, a business that leaves its mark in this world. So like, I think Equolution, you know, we've done a pretty good job at making noise in the Australian market and on, on the social digital space, but I'm so ready to become that household name that when people think of nutrition, they think of Equolution. And in order to get there, it comes with experience and you only know what you know. And so investing in, you know, your learning and development and your network and, you know, your mentoring and so on. And whether it's bringing on a strategic partner when it comes to like capital, it, that will take you to the next level. And that's where I am now. And like, let's just rewind it. Look, look back at it, at that decision you made. If you were like, if you would ask that question to yourself, do I want to be a CEO of a 5 million, 10 million, 50 million, hundred million dollar plus year company. And you say generally hundred million dollar year plus, and you're not making that decision to take on investment. There's a good chance you're just doing that or whoever's in that decision. You're just doing that because you're seeking the comfort of the known yeah. of the lifestyle you already have. Yeah. And it's like, sometimes I feel like as entrepreneurs, we do so much risk taking already on a daily basis. That's that to me, isn't real risk anymore. That's just the day to day. And it comes to times like this where we really have to reflect and challenge ourselves in ways we haven't been challenged for a while. And it can be uncomfortable, you know, to face that, oh, I'm going to have to report into someone, blah, blah, blah. But you go through that, you learn that, you level up and you're set up for the rest of your career in such a better way. Yeah. I have a, like one of my close girlfriends, she was under immense pressure from her role and it was a role that could earn her a lot of money. And I said to her, but what kind of lifestyle do you want to live? You're not someone that wants to fly first class and drive, you know, a Bentley and that's not you. Like you are so simple and you just love going for walks on the beach and having a nice apartment and, you know, being around your friends. So why are you causing so much stress to earn so much money? Because people are just like, I just want to earn money. But it's like, do you need that kind of money for the lifestyle that you want? So it's very much the same question when it comes to business. It's like, what CEO do you want to be? What kind of company do you want to like operate because then that can drive a lot of your decisions on what's next. And so she quit her job and she now works for a company that still pays her a great income, but the stress is not no longer there and she's happy. And she's like, why was I stressing myself out? And so it's the same. People put all this pressure and they're like, yeah, I've got to do this and maximize profits and, you know, turn off, turn around this much revenue. And it's like, 
but is that actually the business you want to run? Because the bigger the business, the bigger the stress is on your plate. And are you okay with that? Because if you're happy with a business that turns over 3 million, then stick with it. Like keep going. Like you're doing great. Why keep trying to go harder and, you know, take, like have your life be affected by it when it's not going to change anything for you. But and, and and these things are fluid. Like at some period of your life, you may want the $3 million yeah. business. You might do that for two years and realize, mm-hmm. no, I'm hungry. I want a 50 or a hundred million dollar business. Yeah. And it can change then. But yes. so many people feel like I make a decision. I'm locked into that forever. No, no. We have so much control over our own lives and people don't no. understand that. So that's a bit, I really love that statement. I was going to ask, what did she say? So I'm glad you explained yep. it. Now let's go back to the journey that started everything. Your incredible weight loss journey. Um, take me back to like where you were in life mentally and probably on a health basis that, cause I know you had tried other diets and they didn't really work. Explain to me how you stumbled along the, essentially the formula that would become equilution yeah. and, and, and how that changed your life and how the business obviously started off the back of that. Yeah. So essentially it was about the age of 16 that my transformation journey began. And had I not had a health scare, so I was told that I was borderline diabetic, I would have never gone through this transformation journey because I actually didn't see or realize that I was carrying more weight than I should have. I was fine. I was quite confident. I was like, you know, I had friends at school. I never really thought about my weight. Yes, there were a few remarks where it was like the word fat got thrown into like, you know, conversations at school, you know what kids are like, but it was nothing that I took seriously. And yeah, just tried every fad diet uh, possibly available in, um, in desperate means of wanting to lose the weight and it was successful, but I would just put the weight back on because it wasn't sustainable. The methods that I would, I was trying just wasn't something I could do for the rest of my life. And so when it came down to the philosophy of equilution and the algorithm that we have today, it came down from personal experience. So having gone through and experienced what it was like to enjoy food in moderation, see the results see that I could lose weight healthily, but continued this way of eating was what made me realize that there was a massive gap in this market. And so just simple science, calories in versus calories out. You need to consume less calories than what you burn. But what the like the dieting industry and the weight loss industry does is they put you in this aggressive calorie deficit. They cut carbs and they take out a, a whole macronutrient. But it's like, well, if you did it in such a non-aggressive, non-restrictive way, someone is more likely to sustain it for a period of time and enjoy the process. Like, why do you not want to eat cake anymore? And why would you want to give up wine? Like you should be able to enjoy your guilty pleasures and still look and feel good. And that's where the philosophy came from. Um, there's, there's so many questions I have to that, particularly around relationship with food. It's something I'm really fascinated about. And we get a lot of questions about, obviously this is predominantly a business podcast, not a business podcast. It's more about, you know, people, the journey, but we get a lot of questions, uh, and a lot of thoughts and comments around, uh, relationships to food, certain diets, eating disorders. Now this is the the world that you've kind of lived in. I imagine for the last seven and a bit years, as you were saying, but for you, how has your relationship to food changed? Like how does a mouse here today with the way you view food versus, you know, eight years ago? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's definitely something that I've not openly spoken about, but I've experienced, I guess, both ends of like the, like eating disorder spectrum. So when I first started losing weight, I was very obsessed, obsessively 
clean eating. So I was programmed to think that anything that contained sugar or was processed or had was a carbohydrate was not good for me. And so what that led to was me being fearful of food. So I actually went to the other end of, okay, I'm scared of food now because I don't want to put on weight or I don't want to regain the weight because I just was in this this cycle of like I'd lose weight and then put it on and lose weight and put it on. And so I became quite fearful. And then what happened was I got really focused on clean eating that I missed enjoying food like ice cream and so on that I then went to the other end and started binging. So it was like started very fearful and then ended up in this binge cycle. And it just wasn't healthy. Like you never feel good when you don't have a great relationship with food. And I truly believe that the second most important relationship you'll ever have in life is with food. And the first is with yourself, of course. And then you've got your partner and, you know, everyone else after that. But it just plays such a big part in your life. It plays a part in the way that you feel, the way that you, your, your mood is, the way that you feel about yourself, like the way that you um your relationships with other people. So for example, as a mum, the way that you look at food and the way you interact with food then translates into your kids' lives. Like it is far more important than what we think and what we know. And so this, like the Equalition philosophy and the reason why I wanted to bring this to market and why I was so passionate about it was because Equalition is the reason why I have a healthy relationship with food. And I think that having no relationship with food in the sense that you don't think about food is the best relationship with food. So I eat when I'm hungry. I eat because I'm fueling my body. I am not fearful to go and have tiramisu on the weekend and have pasta and, you know, steak and fries and wine because I know exactly what I'm putting in my body. I don't restrict myself the next day. I don't go and do 600 hours of cardio to make up for it. I just live my life. I know what my body requires and I fulfill my cravings when they come and I eat food that nourishes my body as well. And that's the best way to live. I've never heard someone say that, but I really like it. The best relationship with food is when you don't think about it. Yeah. Now, since that kind of mental transformation, the way you saw food and that catalyst to then build the business off the back of that life-changing moment, have there been, and this is what a lot of people and a lot of entrepreneurs, I feel like don't want to ever admit that we're human and like, yeah, you've done these amazing things, but we're all human. We all, you know, have backslides where we do things we said we weren't going to do or we might not be as disciplined as possible. Have you ever had moments in the, you know, eight years since you've started the business where you've kind of fallen back against like the philosophies of the brand? And was there like an internal conflict with you? Like you're running this business that's helping people live healthier, happier lives, but you're not doing that yourself. You know what? I'm going to be so honest with you. No, for the reason that I have enough education around nutrition that even if I ever thought something, my brain would be like, no, like it doesn't make sense. Like the thing is because I'm so trained and I have, which I think is so powerful. Like I said, education around nutrition, I can make informed choices. So for example, when I know I'm going out for dinner, people might think, oh, you're eating excessively because you're ordering everything on the menu, but I portion control. Like I'm sitting there and I'm having a bit of pasta, a handful of fries, this, that. And for the rest of the day, I might have, you know, uh, like a veggie filled omelet and a protein shake and like a yogurt to make sure that I'm eating enough protein because I know at dinner, I'm going to eat far many more calories and I'm going to eat. I'm going to probably overeat on the, like at dinner, but I've never gone back to old behaviors because my mind is strong enough and knows enough to never do it. So it's very different because like 
with the industry that we're in and what we do as a business, it's all about education and education is key. And a lot of people ask me, well, do I need a calorie count for the rest of my life? And the answer is no, you don't need to physically calorie count. But what this process teaches you is enough to make decisions for the rest of your life. So like when people sit there and they're like, well, I'm not going to have pasta because pasta has so many carbs. I'm like, well, I know this pasta has like 600 calories. So if I eat half of it, I'm consuming 300. I'm not tracking it in my food diary, but I just know to make decisions. So because of that, I've never felt like I've gone backwards because my knowledge is so strong. No, I, I completely respect that. And I can, I can relate in my own way. I remember probably when, when, when was I, I would have been early twenties. And obviously as a kid, like it's so easy to go through life and not think about mental health in any way. And I was early twenties, 21, 22, somewhere around there. And for the first time ever, I think I slipped into, it was only a few months, thankfully, like some sort of a depression. And I'd never experienced that before. never really had to think about mental health and then got myself out of the situation, changed up a bunch of things the way I got out of it. Whenever I'm in a funk, whatever it is, I was thinking about, okay, I'm clearly unhappy about something in my life where I am right now. Where do I ideally want to be? Like, where's my five-year goal? Where do I want to be? What's my vision for my life? And then I just start making decisions based off going in there. And that's what got me out of that funk. But what I've done since then, since realizing that, hey, if I don't consciously, you know, audit what thoughts I let into my mind or where I spend my energy, they start to spiral and I don't have control. Yeah. So with the next couple of years and you, and it's continued to build on there since, since then, it's like you build these systems in place that you don't ever really slide back past that. Yeah. So it's really important. Like I feel like to, to start doing this, whether it be with food or, or your mindset, mental health routine, that sort of thing, creating systems in your life is a really important tool. Yeah. It becomes a part of your everyday behavior. But in saying that, like my education around nutrition, it, because I know so much about how much of a role nutrition plays in just overall, like your aesthetics, like your maintain, like maintaining your weight, losing weight and so on. I, my fitness can then suffer, which isn't good, right? Is not a bad habit because whenever I'm going through a very stressful time at work, I'm like, okay, well, I'm just going to go for a walk and I know how to adjust my nutrition because in nutrition, in my opinion, is 100% the driver of achieving your goals when it comes to weight loss. Uh, exercise allows you to uh, really focus on like building muscle and, you know, allows you to burn more calories and so on. And it's a, a feel good, you know, like exercise is just overall great for your health and, and fitness. And so for me, I just know that if I ever want to just slow down with training. I just adjust my nutrition. So it works like it's great because I know enough, but then other parts in my life can suffer because I have so much knowledge around nutrition. So yes, sometimes I get into funks where I'm like, I'm so emotionally and mentally tired from work that I can't exert any more energy. So going to the gym feels like a lot. So then I'll just go for a walk and stay active and adjust my nutrition because of it. One question I actually want to ask, you mentioned, it's going back a little bit in the conversation, you mentioned when you were, you know, high school kid, people would mention weight every now and then it didn't affect you. You were just whatever. And then happens with men as well, but women, you get later in the teens, these things start to play more of, you know, have a weight on your mind. You start to doubt yourself. Insecurities start becoming bigger and bigger. Take me back to that moment. And because it's such an important thing and we do have a lot of women listening, I think over 50% of our listeners are actually female. So what did you do? If you, if you can look back and remember, obviously education was it for nutrition, but what did you do to flick the switch mentally and, and get over those insecurities and get over the the fear of putting on weight? Oh, can I be honest with you? I'm forever on a weight loss journey. 
Like I'm always like in my mind, I'm like, I'm always losing weight. Right. And like, I just think being in this industry and I'm being like completely honest and raw is that you can never allow yourself to slip up. You never want to go back to where you were. Again, I have enough education and knowledge to not allow myself, but I'm always thinking like at the forefront of my mind is you run a nutrition company. What kind of role model do you want to be for your community? And I think that's most important. And so like, yeah, the you, there's a lot of pressure in this industry. You look at some of the girls that are the role models, they have six packs and they're in like little shorts and whatever. I don't strive to look like that. I like to embrace like a very feminine look where it's, you know, relatable and um, achievable and sustainable. But in saying that, like if I was to put on two to five kilos, I would feel like I'm letting myself down. So I would never let myself do it. So it's always in the back of my mind. So I'm always thinking about, I need to always be in shape because I have a community of women that look up to me and I want to be a great role model for them. But also because like, I don't need to, like nothing in me makes me want to like, I guess, explore the habits of what will cause weight gain because I am so content with my daily nutrition that I don't ever feel like anything that I could do would result in me putting on weight. Like I've maintained my weight loss for over 10 years and I reckon that's the biggest achievement out of all of it. So when it comes to losing the weight, the 30 kilos or maintaining it, maintaining is hard, but because I have so much knowledge, it's easy. And I love my food. Like I love what I eat on a daily basis. I was at Burt's on the weekend and people were replying back to me saying, oh, wow, you're really treating yourself. I'm like, yeah, like, and I love it. Like, I love what I eat because I don't restrict myself. So I never feel like I'll ever go back there because I enjoy my method. And I think whatever whatever your process is, like, if you can find enjoyment in it, you're so much more likely to find success. You sustain it for the rest of your life. Like, this doesn't feel like a diet. This doesn't feel like a chore. This is so natural. I wake up and I eat the food that I love every single day. It's a habit that I've built. And it's a part of my everyday routine. So like I said, I don't feel like I'll ever go back there because I love my my daily diet. Well, let me ask you this. The toll emotionally and mentally of not so much now, like it's all autopilot for you, everything you've built, like you've said, so much education, like you, it's so ingrained that it's just a habit and you don't have to think about it. But maybe in the earlier days, the, motor, the emotional and mental toll of that weight loss journey, say the first few years of losing it and trying to keep it off or the, or the mental toll that being in business and the emotional toll that being in business and, and striving to build awesome things and things going wrong every single day. What, what's, what was more difficult to manage? Do you think? Hmm. That's a tough question. I think that they have both been difficult to manage in their own ways. I think that because right now I'm living and breathing the business journey this feels like the more challenging time. But when I was living and breathing the transformation, that became challenging. And I was just about to say, until I found a method that resonated with my lifestyle, like equilution, but losing weight still is challenging. Like any transformation journey is challenging. There's a lot of discomfort, right? But yeah, I would say right now, because of where I am in my life, it would definitely be the business element because this part of my journey is I have to consider other people. You ha- like there are salaries that you need to pay. There are people that you are directly impacting with the decisions that you make. Whereas on my own transformation journey, the only person that I'm impacting is me. 
And so this feels like I have far more responsibility on my plate uh, in this part of my life. And with business as well, it's always changing. You know, they, the classic saying, new levels, always. new devils. Like yeah. if, if you were just trying to do zero to a million, zero to a million, zero to a million, that will become super easy. But when you're trying to go zero to a million, then one million to 10 million and, you know, build this company and you're constantly striving forward, it's going to always present you with new challenges, new 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 things that you have to face within yeah. yourself as well. And that's why I think so many of us get addicted to business because like it's, it's, it's not a job or a career. It's like a way of life. Yeah. It's, you know what? You're so right. Like every moment of my business journey, I am like, Oh, this is far more challenging or this is far more like this is harder. But the thing is you, you'll then get to this net, you'll unlock this next chapter in your business journey and you're not going to know what to do next or you've never experienced it before. So of course it's going to be harder. Someone actually asked me the other day, does it get easier? I'm like, fuck no, <laughs> it gets harder. Yeah. Like you only know 1% of what you should know at every given moment of your journey. So even though you feel like you're filled with all this knowledge, you then go into this next chapter and you're like, shit, I only know 1%. And then you overcome that challenge and then another challenge comes up. And so, yes, it's a forever ongoing uh, experience of challenges, but again, very character building. That's what life's all about. And like what you're struggling with right now in a year, two years, it'll be easy for you. Exactly. Or you'll be struggling with something else. You know exactly. what I mean? And if you don't, if like, if you're not going forward, then by definition, you're going backwards. If you're going backwards, then what are you doing? Just waiting to, yeah. to die. And, and like, we're so young, regardless of if you have success in your twenties, like I want to do things way more successful than the businesses I've built now. I'm only 29. It's like, if that's my highlight of my career, then I've done something wrong. You know what I mean? So it's like, you want to seek the discomfort. Yeah. In my opinion. Now let's go back to that. Okay. You've had this incredible transformation. You've lost 30, 30 kilos, um, mental transformation as well. Talk to me about, I know you then, you were really close with Jade. She then lost 20 kilos as well. So you've both just proved this system works and obviously you've done it in an enjoyable way, but where do you get from your personal experiences and how do you turn that into a business? What were the next steps? Yeah. So it was just a common question that people would ask, how did you lose weight? Tell me what your secret is. And so it just felt so natural to be able to provide them with, I guess, what our secret was, which was balanced and sustainable nutrition. And so we then, as I said, we facilitate it as a service to friends and family. So we just, any person that would ask, we would essentially just support them on their journey. And then it wasn't until the friends of our family or the friends of our friends would then start to seek our services when we were like, shit, this is a real thing. Like people actually, there's a demand for this. People want our service. And because it was this concept came around in about 2015, people, the thought of eating pizza and pasta and losing weight was not even a thing. So we were one of the first to market with balanced nutrition. So it was a hot topic. People were like, you're eating pasta and losing weight. What are you doing? Like, tell me what your secret is. And then they'd give our contact details out. And then we'd get someone calling saying, Hey, can you help me lose weight? And that's essentially how it all started. It was just honestly a passion project. And still today is still a passion project. And at what point Cause I know there's a Silicon Valley trip, which we can, which we can touch on. Like when you quit Google, you're like, we're going to go all in. But before we get there, like you were doing everything manually working off like spreadsheets and yeah. we, well, WhatsApp and that sort of stuff. What moment was it that you realized that this isn't just, we're helping people out. Like this is a real business. When did it get serious? When we were pulling 22 hour days and we couldn't keep up with the workload because it, it was such 
a high demand for the service. And this was when we were fully manual still. And I just remember thinking, how are we going to get through this? We would say to clients, you'll receive your new meal plan by end of day. And end of day to many people is like 5 p.m. But end of day to us is like when we go to sleep. And when we go to sleep is like 4 a.m. Because <laughs> we're working so many hours. And so it was at that point that we were like, holy shit, this is something. But I think that throughout the journey, I don't think we ever considered the financial return. I think for us, it was always like, holy shit, look how many, look at how many people losing weight. Like, look at how many lives we're impacting. Like, look at the noise on the, on Instagram and the community that we've built. That was what success was like for us. And yes, when you build a product that people love and you scale it and you see an increase in your customers, the financial reward comes with it as well. But we were so focused on building this powerful message and making an impact that that was success for us and still is today. So like success isn't a matter of like looking at our revenue or, you know, any financial metrics. Like, yes, that's very important for business. Don't ever neglect it because without the financials, you won't have a business that's sustainable. But success is like, holy shit, we just launched a campaign and that instantly drove all of these signups and holy shit, we just finished this like challenge period and look at all of the tens of thousands of kilos combined people lost. That's what success looks like for us. That's amazing. Um, one thing you mentioned then, I want to ask you about a lot of people in business or not just in corporate have experienced this, the word burnout um, oh, is a very yeah. real thing that, that, that we face yeah. in business. Now you mentioned it when you were, when you're working at Google, so You'd wake up, you'd go to the gym, like wake up 5am, you'd go to the gym, then straight into Google, you'd work there. Then you'd go home, I believe, train again. And then you work until, you know, 3, 4am. What was that like to do to put yourself through that? And like, as someone now who we're a little bit more mature, further, further on in our journeys, I think there's nothing wrong with that absolutely hustle and grind at the start. It's obviously not sustainable, but what was going through your head there? You just started this business, so much organic growth, like you're running off adrenaline did you burn out then or did you get through off those good vibes and adrenaline early days and it's become more of a thing later on as you mature yeah. and go into the different stages of business? I think that because we were juggling so many things at one time, the burnout didn't hit us at that point because we were running off adrenaline. We were fulfilling our full-time jobs. We were competing as fitness models. We were running the business. Like there was just so many moving parts. It wasn't until we had taken on Equilution full-time and it was probably year three maybe even year two where we were managing so many clients and we hadn't started hiring that that's when the burnout really started to be a thing. And it's real. Like you start to lack creativity. You start to resent your job. You wake up and you're like, shit, like I'm just exhausted emotionally. And you can't perform at your optimum when you're in this, this, funk really. And so you need to then change things up to get yourself out of it. And you need to bring on the right support to be able to free up your time and schedule to focus on you. So it really was a little bit later on in our journey. And I'm a big, like for me and finding balance in life in general. So like, I'm not like a work life balance person. I'm more of like just a life balance person. I think that you need to have balance in everything that you do, your exercise, your work, your nutrition, your relationships. Like I just think that balance is key. And for me, that's something that I like to exercise day to day and something that I like to translate into my, uh, my culture of my company too. So we're like, okay, can this wait until Monday? Yes. Chat to you Monday. 
why are you messaging me at 7 p.m.? You should be offline. Like this isn't urgent. Like appreciate the hard work that goes into it. And there are some times where there are projects that require longer hours because you have tight deadlines. But for the most part, it's like go and spend time with your partner. Why are we messaging each other? My my team is going to definitely say we message all day, every day. But it's like go and enjoy your weekend. Like go and have fun. I would rather you show up to work being your best self than you feeling exhausted because all you did was work all weekend. I want you to feel excited about work. I want you to enjoy what you do. And I can confidently say that every person in my team would say that they love it and that, yes, it gets stressful at times, but we've established a really good balance in our work culture. And, and, I, and I guess something that you've got to consider when talking about that and doing it within like a team aspect is like some people, you know, that are absolute hustlers within your team that will never clock off at 5 PM that will work at least to a six, seven, if, if not later. And there's some people that want to clock out more, a little bit earlier and balance to them looks like something different. How do you manage that within a team dynamic? Because like, unless you've been able to just hire all like a personality, people all come in, everyone wants to grind, 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 blah, blah, blah. But that's just not realistic in a workspace. Yeah. How have, and, and I imagine it's something you've had to learn to do uh, managing a team over a few years. Like we can't just walk, walk into the room and be like, we're amazing leaders. And that's something I had to learn myself mainly because realizing, holy shit, people are motivated in such different ways yeah. to me, to each other. Yeah. So what was your experience navigating that? Yeah, I do believe it comes from the top down. So how I interact and the way that I behave is how people feel like they need to behave. So if I'm sending emails and messages at 8 p.m., 9 p.m., 10 p.m., people feel like it's okay to do that. So I try and limit my communication after 5 p.m. There are people that are like direct reports to me or people that I work closely with where we just talk shit after hours anyways. Like we just send each other shit and we're like, have you seen this? Or look at what this competitor is doing or uh, look at this new TikTok that went live. What is it? Like we talk about work, but it's not doing work if that makes sense. And so I think that because I have that clear, we're clocking off at like five, six o'clock and I don't interact and send emails after that point. I schedule a lot of my comms. So I might be working and doing emails and stuff, but I schedule it to be sent at 8 a.m. the next morning. They feel like they don't have to do it. And I just think that it's all about what you do within the hours that you work. So people can go and work 14, 16, 20 hours, but if you're doing nothing, like are you really like a hustler and a bustler or whatever you call it? Like it's all about making the most out of the hours that you have. So like I look at the schedule of my employees and they're smashing through like a solid seven to eight hours of work, which means that they can go and spend the night with their partners and like, you know, go for a swim or go to the gym or, you know, go and see family. It's all about what you do within those hours, not about how many hours you work. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And it's identifying that not only with your team, but within yourself yeah, as well. hundred percent. And it's like, we all have different styles of working. Um, on the burnout point, as someone you've been in business for eight years now, almost eight years, now, 2023, where we are, a little bit more experience, obviously, when far from perfect. But what are now where you are in, in today's life? Like, what are some of the warning signs for you that burnout might be creeping up in you? How do you spot them? And then what do you do to make sure that, hey, I'm not going to let this happen? Yeah, I think that for me, it's when I start to lack creativity. I think that's a really big one where I'm just like, I can't think of a creative solution to something like this. Like, I'm just like, it's just not coming to me naturally. Or it's not coming to me quickly. And then fatigue, like where I start to feel like I can't exercise as much as I'd like to, or I feel like I need to sleep a lot more. I'm just feeling tired and drained. That's when I know that 
okay, shit, I'm going to start experiencing burnout. And I usually just book a trip somewhere. I usually remove myself out of the environment. Sometimes you've just got to get yourself out of your day to day, whether it be just to the Gold Coast or to go to the down the coast or whatever it may be. You could go and book out an Airbnb. You'd go stay with your family if you want to. Just stepping out of your everyday environment, I believe is such um, a key part into like overcoming that phase because when you're in it, you aren't going to do anything to change the way that you're performing or the way that you're working. But when you step out of your environment, so the last time this happened, I went on a health retreat, there was no reception. So for like four days, I was like offline and I just felt so rejuvenated after it was four days. That's all it took. And if you took four days out of every quarter or every two months to then perform your best, that those four days are nothing. But if you get to the point where you've reached burnout, going through a shit time because you're not performing at your best has far more of an impact than just taking four days out. Yeah. And those four days, what people don't understand for like, okay, I'm going to go bludge for four days or like relax. Yes, you're relaxing, but it's actually so productive. Oh yeah. I was making really great decisions then because I could think that that's but, the thing. If, if you just need to veg up, whatever, that reset is actually super productive time. And it goes into the, it's just life balance. Yeah, You need to do this so you can do that. Some of my best business decisions have been when I've been traveling because mm. I'm outside of my everyday. So creative, you start right? to think clearly and you're like, you start to be exposed to new and different things. And your mind just operates so differently. So I encourage you to like step outside of your normal everyday environment and just like give yourself some time because you'll be so surprised at how much clearer you can actually think. And the thing is as well, why it's so important to to catch and avoid before it gets to that point, because if you just feel like you're starting to get a little bit run down and you can, you can spot that and take a weekend away, do a little retreat, get off your phone, no work, you'll come back feeling better. But if you don't catch it in time, what I've realized with burnout and it's probably happened to me maybe, I think, proper burnout maybe once, maybe twice, which isn't that many times, but over five years, that, that, that's a decent amount, is that, okay, when you get burnout and even if you take a whole week off, you come back, recovery, it's not necessarily, yeah. it's, it's weeks to it's recover. Harder, it's harder to recover. I agree with that. Really? And that was a shock that I, last time I went through that, I was like, holy shit, I, I slept like 10 hours a night, like for the last three it's days crazy, huh? and I'm still tired. I'm, I'm still, still emotionally exhausted. Yeah. It's like that reset can take weeks. So actually being disciplined with this stuff is a super important part of the whole process of being able to be productive and execute at the highest levels. Now, yeah. as people in business, you make sacrifices with life, fitness, friends, food, whatever, whatever. There's so many different ways. Now, one thing I wanted to ask you, and I'm not sure if it's something you get asked all the time or not. I used to get asked it as well quite a bit, but have you feel like you've had to sacrifice relationships to, because you were so dedicated to this journey and you, and you had a vision for your life, whether it be friends or, or intimate relationships, do you feel like that's something that's had to be put on the back burner for the last five years or so? Yeah. I think that relationships have definitely been the number one sacrifice in my life. When I first started the business, I was still very early. Like I was young. And although the business has only been around for about six and a half years, the concept came about very like, because I'd gone through my transformation and it started many more years before the business started. I was so dedicated to wanting to achieve my goal that anything that felt outside of that was something that I would say no to. And my friends would never understand why I wouldn't go clubbing on the weekend, or I wouldn't go and do this or do that. I started fitness modeling when I was young. And so I 
unfortunately uh, said goodbye to a lot of those friends. So a lot of like my high school friends I'm no longer friends with and that's because I felt like there was not a lot of alignment in where I wanted to be versus what they valued. And so I had to stay strong in my decisions because I'm a big believer in like you are who a product of who your closest five, five friends are. And you, a lot of people are like, no, that's not true. But if you're, if five of your friends are going to a club versus if they're going to the gym, you're going to go to the club because that's where they are. If five of your friends are reading a book versus getting smashed on the weekend, you're going to just stay home and read a book, right? Because you're going to end up doing what they're doing because they have such an, an impact and an influence on your life. And so for me, it was making sure that those people that were not in alignment with where I wanted to go and what my goals were, I unfortunately um, didn't bring them along on this journey, which has always been a tough decision. I have a very close, small group of friends, but the, the, the quality of my friends are incredible. Like they all play such a big part in my life and they are amazing role models uh, and yeah, just like positive uh, influences in my life. It's, it's a common thing that a lot of people speak about and it's like some people feel really guilty about doing it. But if you're in that position, whether it be friends, a partner, even certain family members that you just yeah. feel are holding you back in life, like the, the best thing you can do for yourself is to remove those people out of your life or at least I limit agree. it. You know what I mean? Limit I that to the negative Protect effect. Protect your can- energy as well. Like I'm a big believer in that. And I think that as you go through this journey, you need to be really cautious of the people that you give your energy to because it's just so limited. And so, yeah, like really big believer in that. And it comes at us like running a business comes at a really big sacrifice. So you need to be prepared for that. I want to, I want to ask you um, some more questions about the business more specifically now, because we haven't spoken too, too much about the actual steps. And I want to paint the picture because for a lot of people, like what you've done is a fucking dream. Like to launch a, a, a software company or an app or a tech company and go and do the things you've done is a dream for a lot of people. But so many people get stuck at, I want to build an app. And they'll, for a start, they have no idea how much it costs to build an app. But like what, what I got from your journey was so important. Like you wouldn't have got here if you didn't do the, you know, manual spreadsheets, yeah. chats for, for however long that, yeah. for the first year. So I mean, it's always great to have that dream of a big shiny, you know, app that as you would know, cost millions, hundreds of thousands of millions, millions of dollars and to millions build. and millions annually. So <laughs> yes, costs a lot of money. Don't get too excited yeah. if you're thinking about building an app, everyone. But talk to me about from that day, you got to the point, you're at capacity doing the manual way. What are the actual, some of the steps that you had to follow to build the business, to enable the growth that you've since done in your journey? Cause like you said, you couldn't outgrow that model of working, right? Yeah. I think that is something that we did really well was that we, with the business, we, I guess, automated or invested when the business grew. So we did it at the points where things were really pointing in that direction. So we didn't actually start the business and say, Hey, let's build a mobile app or let's build the technology. We facilitated a service. The demand grew. We were like, Hey, how cool would it be if we automated this? Oh, let's build this into an app. Business was driving really good revenue. We were profitable. We then reinvested in the company, built the app. And then every stage and every milestone of the business have been validated based on things that we put into place to ensure that it was the right decision. When you start to make money in a business and you have employees that you need to take care of, you can't make decisions that can impact the business because one bad decision, unfortunately, can be the end of your business. And so for us, before we heavily invest into things, we ensure that we 
have some hypothesis that we're trying to validate. We pilot test it. And then when we see the return, we then throw money at it and we invest heavily. But until then, we spend very minimal and we do very MVP, like basic launches until we validate that this is right for the business. I love that response. And and we'll get into how data influences decisions in your business. But one thing that you'd understand, I understand is that when you're early days in a business, you don't actually have a lot of data. You've got to rely on a lot more, you know, gut feel or instincts at the start than you can do now. You have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of clients, you can, you know, there's so many different things you can do nowadays. We'll get into what you do now, but how do you navigate that at the start versus I want to be data driven, but it's like, you don't really have much data to fall back on. Was that only something that you implemented that mindset and approach to business a few years in or what's your advice to someone at that stage? I wish that I was data inspired a lot earlier in my journey. And I think that you're right. It may seem like you don't have a lot of data available to you, but if you have a customer, you have data. And I think that it's how you look at it. So if you make 10 sales a month, for example, look at the 10 sales, who's purchasing it? Why are they purchasing it? Are they returning? Are they not? Where do they live? that's data. And that can drive a lot of your decisions because then you're like, okay, well, if it's a female and she's this age and they came through Instagram, I'm going to invest more into Instagram. Or they came in and they didn't purchase again. Maybe there's something wrong with my product or they're purchasing, but they're purchasing one off and not subscription. There's a a flaw in that. So you actually have a lot of data available to you. You may not have it on a cool, fancy, pantsy dashboard. But if you look into your consumers, there is so much that's coming, that that's available to you that can drive a lot of your decisions. So for us, I think it was really based on reviews. So based on whether someone lost weight, that was data for us that showed success. So we then were able to start to make choice, like decisions based on that. Um, but a lot of it was gut intuition. We made a lot of mistakes very early on. So we reskinned our platform. We worked with one of the best UI, UX companies in the world. It cost us 250K just to reskin, not even to develop, just to design. We spent 250K on the design of our platform thinking that we would launch that and we would see an uptake in revenue immediately because like it looks nicer, but people don't care about that. We did not validate that in any means. We just, we thought it was going to be a good decision, but we thought wrong. But like, I will say our app is probably one of the best in the market because it looks beautiful, but it did not correlate to better, in like an increase in revenue, zero. So we could have kept, we could have saved that 250 invested into something that we knew would drive revenue. So Decisions like that, unfortunately, come um, at it can definitely have an impact if it is driven like with financial decisions, like you need to back with finance. So just look at your data as closely, speak to your customers, that's data, like get to know the people that are purchasing your product. Who are they? Why did they purchase your product? What was the pain point that they felt before purchasing it? What do they think of your product? Are they going to return and and purchase your product? Will they share it with their friends and family? How do they find out about you? That is such valuable information to your business. And like you said, like it depends where you're at in the journey. A few years in, yeah, maybe doesn't feel good to put 250K down the drain. But if you did that in like year one, as you're, I'm going to put all the money into this, it needs to work or we're screwed. And, and you've like not you validated said, it. Make it. Or da- make yeah. or break. And I say to people all the time, like, just validate your 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 business idea before you actually go and invest in it because you can save yourself hundreds of thousands of dollars. You might have this great idea, but are you one, solving a problem that exists? And two, are people going to purchase it? Because if they're not, then 
unfortunately, no matter how much money you throw at it, it's not going to work out. Save yourself the hundreds of thousands that you could potentially lose and just validate it first. You, you mentioned you wish you adopted that more data-driven approach earlier on. Was there a catalyst, a book, a person, a podcast, a meeting that made you change it up and focus more on the data? Yeah, there was this book that I read that was called Hacking Growth. And it still to this day is one of my favorite business books because it really ties in the importance of data and decision-making. And I didn't realize until I actually read the book that how much it could impact like the way that your business moved forward and experiencing that 250K loss through the reskin and then, you know, switching it on the next day. We're like, yes, we're going to onboard another thousand people tomorrow. And it's like, we had one sign up probably at that time. And we're like, oh, that is so deflating. And so it was like that, then reading that book and it was that combined was like, okay, well, that makes sense. We did nothing to validate that people wanted to reskin. They would have much preferred us spend that 250K on launching a feature that they will make their experience in the app a lot better. And so since then, we implement processes internally that allows us to validate that we need to invest more money into this. Any feature that we release as a company that's going to take a significant amount of time If we can't get that data available to us, so if we can't assess it through user behavior where you might see a drop off here or people are interacting this way or you see people are trying to complete this task because we can collect data because we're a mobile app. If we can't get that information through the behaviors, we then go and have those conversations and any big feature release or planning, we will always speak to our community first. Our product team will always go and do interviews and say, this is what we're planning on doing. Tell us what your thoughts are. What are your pain points? How can we make this part of the journey more seamless for you? How would you want to see it done? And then we show them designs and we're like, how would you interact with this? What do you think of this? And so we always validate it before we move forward. And then we test it. We launch it to 30% of people first at a very MVP, shit, not the best quality, see how they interact. And once we see the uptake from that, we're like, okay, invest a little bit more and then launch to 100% of people. So just for the context of people that have no experience in in your world, for you guys to roll out a new feature, what's like an average cost that can cost a properly, not, not, you know, monthly maintenance to make sure everything keeps working, but just to build and and plan a new feature, what what can that cost? Yeah, it's different because we have the talent. So like it's not project-based for us. Like we pay ongoing and we have engineers that we pay, you know, salaries for that they are continually working towards. But I would say of the costs that we have, about 80% is new feature building. And that's, but that's because we um, are continually building the foundations of our products, but it could be like, it could take like one project could take four full-time engineers for over like a two month uh, period of time, depending on how complex it is. Sometimes it takes six months. We just built out an entire new subscription model that automated our offering. And that took nearly two years to build. So like, it just really ranges. Like it depends on how complex it is. You, you mentioned like the 250K that essentially was oh, in the bin, stop right? I know, me. I know. But I want to ask because like we've, we've made, mis- I've made mistakes that have wasted probably six figures. And <sighs> Ridiculous. Potentially but like at least learning. multiple, like 10 yeah. figures, like certain mistakes and stuff. And like earlier on in the journey, like you, you I know at least, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but I would obsess over a little bit longer, beat myself up over a little bit more, but you, I realized anyway, like that's just part of the process and I don't yeah. do that any so much anymore, but what was it like for you? The, the first big investment in terms of cash injection you had to put into the business, what was that thought process like? And the reason I want to ask is because 
when people can start making a lot of money and they didn't necessarily have a lot of money before, you can become really protective of that money and not realize that actually taking a risk and backing yourself is what got you to where you are today. So how did you balance, hey, now we actually have costs and people need to look after bills to pay. We, we need to be more responsible with our money, but we know we need to invest and an investment is a risk to actually take it to the next step. Yeah, I think for us, like I've always been a risk taker. So it was, I never really had the battle of like, we should not do it. We should, like, should we, should we not? I think what we did really well was we invested when we had enough money to. So we wouldn't have like 250K in the bank and then go and spend the whole 250. We would have a million dollars in the bank and we'd spend 100K. So we we took risk in a very uh, manageable way, if that made sense. So if something did fail, that we wouldn't just be the business wouldn't be suffering because of it, which I thought was quite, quite important that we would do as a company. But now when something that you do fails, so for example, the amount that we've invested in our website, I didn't even want to talk about it because <laughs> it makes me so angry. And I know that my team would listen to this and be like, oh, she's just frustrated talking about it. I've spent so much on my website and it has just not just they just can't get it right. So every time we sit down with a new company that's going to build our website, I literally say to them, I have PTSD. Like I am, I like have spent tens of thousands, maybe even upwards of 100K actually on our website. How can you reassure me that you're actually going to get this job done? Because like it's not going to affect us if we spend 30K, right? Like technically because of like cash flow, but it still affects the business because it's still $30,000 that goes out that could be invested elsewhere. And so, um, I like to have a lot of validation, a lot of when we make decisions for the company that requires an investment, we look at the return on investment. So every project that sits on my table that comes in from all departments, they'll then tell me what the return on investment is. Amal, we're investing 30K into the new website and this is what we're expecting the uplift to be. Our conversion rate is going to go from this to this and this is this much revenue that the business will make as you know, as response to this project that we're undertaking. That's how the, the team is programmed to think. So everything that we look at, every dollar that goes outside of the business has some sort of return that we're assessing whether it's worth it or not. How did you develop that way of thinking? It's obviously, it's a high level skill to do that. Yeah. But that would have been a journey, obviously, for you to get to that. Like the way you just explained, that makes a lot of sense, but it's, it's brilliant the way it's done and you can, it makes it easier to make decisions and yeah. you don't have to okay, I'm investing 250K on a whim. So then you got to be really worried. Is my gut feeling right? Well, like even if it doesn't work, but you've gone off the data, what can you do? Yeah. But how did you develop that way of, of thinking and ingrain that and train your team to think like that? I think going through my own experience. So like that 250K loss, like, and building some of the technology that we've built, like when you don't see that return, you're like, shit, like, what did I do wrong? Like, how did I not see this? And so going through my own personal experience of having spent money that we didn't see a return on, which will happen in every business journey. Sometimes it still happens now. Sometimes you just don't get it right. You then learn to put in processes that allows you to, I guess, forecast what that return on investment is. And as like a shareholder of the company, like you are as a founder, you are a shareholder if you own equity in the business, you need to be mindful of what your financial return is. So when someone comes to you and you might have $3 million in the bank and they're like, I just want to spend $3,000 on this. It's like, okay, well, what's that $3,000 going to get us? Like, because you, you literally need to think that way because you can take that $3,000 and turn it into 30, that 30 into 300, that 300 into 3 million, if you do it right. And so it's important that you understand your finances, you understand the impact of your decisions. Sometimes you invest, you're not going to see a financial return because that's the reality of it. But if you do it strategically, you're able to then say, well, if I spend 
$10,000 on this. I'm going to spend $10,000 on an SEO plan over the next six months. And that's going to drive X amount of impressions onto my website. My current conversion rate sits at that. I can then forecast that this is what my return on investment is going to look like. And then when you start to talk to agencies, you then are able to say, well, the impressions that they're going to drive isn't really meeting the mark to get a good return on my investment. I'm going to go and see if someone else can get that a little bit higher and then you assess it that way. Yeah. So it's like when you explain it and when you can grasp it, it's actually quite a simple concept. It's maths. But exactly. Just knowing what your metrics that matter are. You need to understand your business inside out. You need to understand your numbers. I could sit here and tell you what our CAC is, our conversion rate, our impressions, our number of active users, number of inactive, the number of leads that we have. I know all of that because those are the numbers that I look look at it on a daily basis. And yes, I've got departments that own those metrics, but as a CEO and as a co-founder, and that's if that's what your role is within the company, you need to understand your metrics. You need to confidently be like, I know what my business means and what the numbers in my business mean. With the metrics that that your team present to you when when you're looking at a new business case for a pivot or a new feature, you mentioned a lot of different metrics that you go off. Is something else that that you guys look at? Because obviously, depending on the size of the company, it will change. But let's just say you've worked it out, your ROI is going to be whatever that may be. It's going to cost you $300,000. Do you have a percentage when you're looking at a new a new project or a new initiative that you need to put investment into where you will never go above X percent of cash at bank. Is that something you guys look at or? Yeah. Like I think cash flow is super important. I think you need to have enough runway for at least six months to be safe. But I think for us, like what drives a lot of those decisions, like every year there's a strategy in place and we have objectives and our objectives are we want to achieve X amount of active users. We want to achieve an X CAC. We want to achieve X retention. And so when we make decisions, we're like, does this fulfill our objectives as a company? If it doesn't, it's like, we're not thinking about this now, but if they come to me and they're like, Amal, we have a project that's going to improve retention, which we are forecasting at an increase of 3%. We're then like, okay, well, how much is that going to cost us? And what is that return? But you always need to be mindful of cash at bank because if you spend too much and you have nothing left, you don't have a business. So yes, we do always ensure that there's a minimum in the bank. And as a bootstrapped company, it's a lot harder to take risks. Like if it was up to me, I would be spending far more on marketing and spend far more because we know what the return is, but I don't want to inherit that risk because if we have a bad month, yep. you're fucked essentially. Like you you don't have enough runway in the bank. You then become stressed. It's not worth it. So that's why now I'm at that time in my career where I'm like, actually, let's bring on that additional funding so we can take more risk and start to invest more so that we can see a high return on investment. Now. A question I want to ask, it makes a lot of sense and, and I understand the way you use data to make better decisions, particularly internally within your business, but how do you, for it's like more looking at the 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 whole market and, and the industry and what do you do? Like, how do you identify opportunities in the market and, and so you know where to pivot the business? Is it a similar approach? How do you, how do you look and, and strategize for, okay, what's the priorities for 2023, 2024? Yeah. So on. Um, honestly, you need to look at consumer behavior. You need to look at where the market's moving. You need to look at your competitors. You need to look at qualitative and quantity, quanti- quantitative and qualitative data, quantitative and qualitative data. I can never say it right, <laughs> um, which is most important. Like I think implementing things like feedback forms and NPS and, you know, cancellation reasons, looking at how people talk about you in reviews will drive a lot of your decisions. So for us, we had a lot of people saying, I love Equolution, but it's just so expensive. And then our retention was good, but it wasn't great. And we're like, well, then 
we need to bring out a more cost-effective model. And so then we did, and then the uplift of that has been significant because we actually listen. So you need to listen to your consumers and you need to assess what's going on. Consumer behavior has changed. People are spending less. Had we not launched this more affordable solution, like it would be in a very, a very different position. So it's like customers and then the rest of the world, you need to be listening to both. Well, where do you see the, whether it just be general consumer behavior or more specifically people's behavior around the nutrition, health, you know, the, the health and wellness space, do you see changes on the horizon, the way the world's going to change in the next say six to 18 months? I think that people are looking for more of a personalized approach which I think fits really well with what we currently do as a company. People are looking for personalization and community and loyalty programs. And I think that's because people want to pay and get value of what they're paying for. So they're willing to pay given that they can see that it's for them and personalized to them, which I think is really important. And I think what people are starting to realize is that they don't need to forego their lifestyles and the things that they love in order to achieve their results as well, whether it be training or nutrition or whatever it may be, people just want to enjoy things in moderation as well. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's, you can never predict it anyway. We can all hypothesize about what's going to happen. We could hit another pandemic tomorrow. Who knows? Yeah. And everyone's like, oh no, like lockdowns, it's going to be so hard. Everyone's business boomed for like, you know, there was like three months of Black Friday in the middle of the year. Like you just, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what the effect's going to be. All you can do is control what you can control. Like obviously you have to be aware of risks and certain things on the horizon just so you can be prepared. But I think just staying true to to your path uh, and really like not getting distracted too much. Like you got to be aware like what the competition are doing, but if you're don't, always just following everyone don't, else. Yeah. Don't just go and do what the competition is doing. Like don't just like mimic their business model, learn from them because what they're doing works, but be innovative in your decision-making. I, um, I want to ask a couple, couple final questions and we'll wrap up now. One of them, you already mentioned a book. What would something about Hacking that? Growth. Hacking growth. That's the one. Um, I know you're a big reader that, that can be one of them, but what's one book you read this year? We'll just keep it to one that has had like a, a big impact on you or you've really taken that away? This year is not a good example because I've, um, I'm in my like romantic fiction era right now. So I'm, not, <laughs> <laughs> I'm reading about love stories as opposed to business. I actually thought that the other day, other day I'm like, when am I going to actually start reading my mindset books again? Gosh, what have I read this year that has been quite in the last impactful? In the last, what, 12 months you should say. Business. Um, I can't even remember what I've read. I've read more like mindset over business. doesn't have to be business. I'm, I'm all about mindset. Honestly, Colleen Hoover is like my top author right now, which you don't learn anything from because you're reading about romance and relationships. Um, but you know gosh. what? I think that is an answer because like you said, like it's life balance. Oh, if I, you're if you're in the office all day staring at a screen, do you really want to go home and read a business book? I would feel so guilty thinking about reading like a fiction. And it was one of my like really close girlfriends that said to me, she was reading a fiction and she's the co-founder of a billion dollar company. And I was like, do you not feel bad reading that? And she's like, absolutely not. She's like, you need to like have an outlet. And she's like, this is my outlet. And now I get it because like, now, instead of screen time, like watching Netflix and stuff, which I still do on the weekends very much so, I'm just reading books and I just love it because it gets your creativity sparking. Like you can actually like envision the characters and, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just nice. It's a nice break from work and thinking about numbers and this and that and problems and whatever. You just dive into this, like this story about someone else's life. I've never really gotten into too much of um, 
I have. I've probably I I do probably one or two books a year will be nonfiction. But it's it's stupid. It's the same reasons because I feel guilty like I'm not being productive enough no, with my time. I love it. But I need to change that because some of like one of my favorite books ever is The Alchemist, which is obviously a story. Yeah, but I like, love The Alchemist. The message behind that is is incredible. Are you friends with Soph Allen as well? Because yeah, she was like, stuff. yeah, she was yeah. on maybe like a couple. I was of actually listening ago. to her um, podcast with you prior, like before coming here, because I just wanted to like listen to your yeah. style of questions, and I actually listened to Soph's. Um, my point with, with her, like amazing episode again, really good friends with the, with the uh, stacks, Don and Teal bumped into them at fashion week. Yeah, as well. Don and Teal are my two best friends. Oh, they're the best. I told him. Stacks right now. Yeah. Right, sorry. I saw you another person rocking stacks. We'll have to make sure when we have them on that we're all wearing stacks that day. Yeah, you have to. Uh, disappoint. They get angry at me. <laughs> I don't not wear stacks anymore because they're like, you need to wear it. Like they'll see me at uh, breakfast and they'll be like, like stacks. I'm like, yeah, you're right. And then they'll send me like a box and they'll be like, See you in this next weekend. <laughs> oh, they're great. Honestly, they've done Honestly, amazing things. Honestly, they are the best people. Like mm. I can't even explain to you. Like when I was talking about my quality friends and how much of a positive influence people are, like just the conversations that we have. Like I sit at dinner and I just think like, how how am I so lucky to have friends that are just so intelligent and so caring and so compassionate? Because it's one thing that they've built this incredible business, but it's another of like how good of a friend they are. Like they are such great friends and yet yeah, very, very lucky. And they haven't changed at all. No, like. I've known them for years and they're still the same Don and Till that I've known for the years that I've known them, like still the same people. And I absolutely love them for it. For it. I feel like that's a bigger testament than like not just how successful they are, but like when I first met them, I'm not like good long-term friends with them, but I, obviously both in business around Sydney, I see them, you know, a couple of times, you usually at different things. I would have met them as a filming of a show right at this, maybe in our first lockdown, or I remember because it was super weird, everyone on wow. set had to be like separated and like mask. And then, you, and that was like probably three years ago, right when they first started this Booming. crazy growth. Mm. And like to see how far it's gone, even from then to now, it's like, holy shit. Like the amount, it's like the reason I brought, brought them up again, I want to speak about you cut out your old style of friends. How important is it to have friends in your life that you can have conversations? So important. Not just about business, but that get it you know what oh, I mean my friend my close uh, girlfriend Chandra one of my other best friends so I've got like five best friends she like I said co-founded a unicorn company and I swear to you she's like my unofficial like sounding board like I will call her but she always wants to help like I'll like write this like 10 page document and she'll be like send it to me I want to look at it I'll review it I'm like do you not have anything better to do with your life like why do you care about what Amal's doing but she just wants to help so much and it is just so great to be able to have those conversations with people because you can't just call up a normal friend and be like hey I'm experiencing these employment issues they just won't get it but when you call up a friend that runs a business and you're like fuck I don't know what I just did or what should I do in this they can give you advice because they've been through it Mm -hmm. and so I've got different friends friends that have their own businesses friends that don't and I each of them bring different value into my life and I hope that I bring value back into theirs but I've got a girlfriend that I will talk to about just like life and dating and just like mindset and just like just like hey I'm feeling a little bit flat today what like just and she'll like come over and she'll be like, let's go for breakfast. Let's go get coffee. And then my other friends, I'll be like, I'm experiencing this problem at work. What the fuck do I do? And they'll be like, do this. Or I've done this before. This has worked, whatever. So it's so important that you have a diverse group of friends and they all bring something different to the table. Not go and find every entrepreneur and be friends with them. You need to also have other friends that align with your values and will 
be that friend that brings the humor into your life, that is good for your soul, that is good for like, you know, the, the the dating advice that you need. And then you've got the work advice. Just look at your friends and get a diverse range that all have a positive impact on your life. And, and it just keeps going back to that term you use, that life balance. It's like, you need to set up, you need to look at every aspect of your yeah. life. If you truly want to be happy, it's not selfish to look at everything you do, every person in your life and say, do they add value to me? And it's not like, do 100%. they add value? Can they make me money? Can they intermate? No. Do they add value to your life? And like, you need to audit that shit. Yeah. Because especially when you're busy, you're going to chase a dream. If your shit's out of whack, you're going to burn out. You're going to fail. You're going to lose yourself in that. So it's so important to, to be able to develop that. Now, one last question and we'll wrap this up. Time flies in this room. How long have we been going for? An hour 15, 19. So There's quick. a timer. I got a timer. Um, oh. That's what I was going to say. I almost forgot. Too caught up in the, in, in, in the timer. Um, I know this would have changed over, you know, you said you've been in six and a half, seven years in business. Maybe it's, maybe it's been a scale. What are you truly, and now like try answer this as honestly as you can. <laughs> I'm scared. What, what do you, what does Amal at her core truly value more? Do you feel like it's, it's the business success and the financial success? There's nothing wrong if it's that, or do you feel like it's the relationships that mean more to you? Oh, okay a tough one. Um, this is a really difficult one to answer because I think that you like, you can't and shouldn't just value one thing in life. I think that there are multiple values that you have. And I think that each part plays a part in my life. And I think that Without my business, I wouldn't have the life that I've built. But without my friends, I wouldn't have the support that I have to run my business. And so I feel like they both go hand in hand. The business for me, it it isn't about the success. It's about the message that we have. So I'm very passionate about what we're trying to share with the world, the education around nutrition. So the success is just a bonus. It's like, cool, like that's great. And like people love seeing success or whatever. But for me, it's about, that spreading that and making it more accessible and scalable. So I val- I put so much value into that and I won't stop until I get there. But then the people that I love, my relationships, my friends and my family, I will go above and beyond for them. I will put them above everything else. So it's just, it's, it's, it's really difficult. It, if I, which I do have a life where I could have both, I would continue to have both. It would be really difficult to make that decision between the two. If people in my life didn't align with my business, they wouldn't be in my life. And if my business didn't align with the people, then I wouldn't be doing that business. So it's like they go hand in hand with one another. As, as they should. And, and, and like you were saying, it's like you just got to constantly ask yourself the question, what sort of life do I want? I've said on, on, on this podcast, rant, like something that just thought to go through my head, I don't want to be a billionaire. Because look at the lifestyle that billionaires have. I'm like, I don't want to sacrifice all these things for my life. But it's like, doesn't mean I can't, you know, make tens of millions of dollars a year. Exactly. It's like, look at where you are in life and, and your priorities will change. Sometimes I'll go all in on business and I'll hardly see anyone. But it's like, you just always got to, in my opinion, go back to what feels right for you in that moment yeah. and, and be true to that. And and 
hopefully you don't be led too far astray now. Yeah. And I think also just like if that's your ambition, finding the right people that will support you in getting there, which is most important. So having friends that understand, hey, I'm going to be offline for the next two weeks. I'm fucking busy. I'm not going to return your call. I have friends that like they sent me a message like seven days ago and then I respond. The conversation is redundant at that point. (laughs) And then I respond, but they don't sit there and text me saying, why haven't you replied to me? They just get it. And so it's important that your your friendship group is supportive of where you want to go when it comes to your business. And that's why me and my friends have this amazing relationship. And my friends meet my other friends and they get along so well because we all support one another in everything that we do. Yeah. Like a hundred percent. You, you got to like, they'll develop an understanding around who you are and like the people that love yeah. you for you, they won't judge you yeah. or make you feel guilty. And on a Friday, like if you're like, oh yeah, we have dinner plans. You're like, I'm too tired. I'm exhausted. They'll be like, fine. So cool. I'll see you next weekend. Like they just get it. Whereas like other friends would be like, do you really need a cancel? Why would you do that to me? I really want to go out, blah, blah, blah. You're like, I can't, like, I just can't like my friends just get it. And that's what's most important. And it doesn't always make sense. Like sometimes I'm better at replying in the weekdays. Obviously I'm busier because I'm on, like I just, we just came off the long weekend. I've got 50 messages to reply to because I just needed to like the whole long way. And you post on Instagram stories and then you mentally feel bad. You're like, shit, I haven't replied to my friends in like two weeks. And I've just posted 50 times on my stories. They know I'm on my phone. (laughs) (laughs) That's me. But they don't, they never question it, right? Like they're never like, what are you doing, Amal? If they like, do, reply. They, they know that if they urgently need me, just call me. Yeah, oh, just 100%. just get just pick up the phone and just call me. But otherwise, they know I'll respond in the time that I'm a. I can give them the my full attention because the last thing that I want to do is reply to messages and not be there, like be yeah. present in my response. So they know that I'll do it when I have the time to. And it's just also managing burnout because sometimes yeah. replying to twenty people is taking a lot of that precious well, you energy. Your friendship you need. group small. Yeah, yeah. So um. <laughs> What's next for you and Equilution? Like where do you see the next 6 to 12 months where you're yeah, going? Yeah, for us it's all about scaling the business and accessibility. So definitely international market is uh, the next natural stage for us, which is exciting. So we just launched a more affordable, affordable subscription to the market, which means that the ability to sign up to Equilution is $50 a month, which is far cheaper than we've ever been. And so that now allows us because it's automated to move into new markets, which allows us to, I guess, spread our message even more, which is really exciting. When's that about to happen? Do you think? Yeah, I would say financial year 24, which is literally like next month. Um, I would say within financial year 24, we would have taken to our first uh, significant international market. So exciting. Yeah. The next challenges, huh? Oh, growing pains, huh? But Give it to me. I'm excited. I can't wait. Yeah. And where's the best place to find you or Equolution for people listening? Yeah. So Equolution is just equal and then Equolution. So E-Q-U-A-L-U-T-I-O-N. If you search that on Instagram, Google, TikTok, whatever, you'll see our page with that little uh, donut with a little bite mark out of it. And then for myself, it's just amal.wakim anywhere, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. You'll find me everywhere. I tell you what, I would have had to ignore Equolution on Google Docs misspelling about a hundred times today preparing. So. Oh, really? Oh, is there... this not a real word? I'm like, no, it is a real word. It is. It you is. just need to just say add, know, to, dictionary. add to dictionary. <laughs> it's added now. So and then when w- enough people do it, they'll add it to the dictionary. hundred <laughs> percent. When I'm preparing for podcast too, once you've dominated international <laughs> markets, then it'll be in there and ready to go. But thanks for coming. It's almost an hour and a half thanks time flies. Me. Um, appreciate you coming and Likewise. obviously you're not too far away. So just yell if you ever need anything. Thank you. Appreciate it. 
All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode or you got something out of it, do yourself a favor, do me a favor, do your friends a favor and share this with them and they can come along on this journey with us. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.